voted by mail, here's a voter's guide to let you know how some of our candidates stand on certain issues put by the Christian Coalition. Sunday, uh, I received a phone call late uh, afternoon by Brother Dunlop that um, asking if we were having evening services, and I said, of course, and so he said, well, he and his wife would like to visit. And so I was prompted, uh, because they were visiting, knowing that he's a seasoned pastor and a, and a good preacher, uh, to do that double header. And after the service, we always want to give someone a love offering, so we gave him a $400 love offering for being such an encouragement. And, of course, he said that was not necessary, but I insisted that he take it. So he went back and shared with the church what a great uh, time they had here. He um, said that, um, well, let me just read. He says, thank you so much for allowing me to speak in your pulpit, especially when I show up unannounced. It was a privilege. He said, the spirit in your church is really exciting. Your people uh, are very attentive. My wife and I both enjoyed our evening with uh, your people. Thank you so much. And uh, he says, in close, we want to give the church a $2,000 offering for your building fund. So, <laughs> so there you go. How, in that, what a blessing. Amen. <laughs> Brother Dunlop is done a great job there with Lighthouse Baptist Church, um, and uh, down there where it's very difficult to build a church, they have an, a congregation of about five, 600 in attendance, and um, just going uh, great guns for the Lord, and God has really blessed the ministry there, and hopefully one day we'll see the same here. Uh, we certainly have the people to reach. Well, tonight I want you to take your Bibles as we continue through the book of Romans. We're going to be talking about sin and how we struggle with sin. When we get to Romans chapter 8, we'll deal with how we can get victory over that struggle. But we have to take it one chapter at a time. Remember in Romans chapter 6, we are told that our salvation is based upon our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through His death, burial, and resurrection. The moment we put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> uh, we are baptized that very moment by the Holy Spirit. And when we are water baptized, that pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it also pictures what God does the moment we are saved. How the Holy Spirit takes residence in our heart, seals our soul until the day of redemption, and carries us back in time with Christ on the cross. So... Uh, we uh, positionally, whether you know it or not, uh, you positionally died with Christ, you are risen with Christ, and you are seated with Christ. And we get that understanding as we read Paul's letters, especially from Ephesians chapter 2. And so in Romans chapter 6, he says we need to reckon that to be so, and every day to live our lives with the understanding that we are risen with Christ to walk in newness of life. So when we get to Romans chapter 7, he talks about, well, we reckon that to be so, but uh, we struggle, don't we? 
And so last week we talked about verses 1 through 6, um, how sometimes uh, we have a hard time just letting go of the old flesh. We, we, we're no longer married to the flesh. We're no longer married to, uh, to that old man. Uh, we are liking ourselves to be completely divorced from that. Uh, there's no way we can find ourselves getting to heaven through uh, the works of the flesh by trying to keep the law. And so we need to divorce ourselves from that whole idea and realize that uh, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have been married unto our Savior. And the word marriage is in reference to a covenant that we've entered into. And that covenant was established by the Lord Jesus Christ Getting a lot more detail about that covenant from Revelation or Re Hebrews, Hebrews uh, chapters nine and ten. But as we <clears throat> understand that we are no longer to espouse ourselves to that old life, we still struggle. And Paul talks about that struggle in verses seven through twelve, and then as we get into the rest of the chapter, he talks about how the flesh continually seeks every day to war against the spirit. Notice in verses 7 through 12, we'll read through those passages and go back and comment on each verse. But uh, as we uh, read these passages, why don't we stand for the reading of this portion of Scripture, and then uh, we'll pray and you can be seated. Revelation, or Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse number 7. We're going to read down to verse number 12. So he asked a question dealing on what he's already talked about in verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? In other words, if we need to divorce ourselves from the law because we can't please God by being married to the law by trying to serve God through the flesh, well, does that make the law sin? So the answer is, God forbid, no. The word nay, by the way, means no. <laughs> I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had, had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by commandments, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, that's all kinds of evil desires. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. <laughs> I'll explain that. It's kind of like an oxymoron there. What in the world is that talking about? Well, let me explain later. And so the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. So sin taken occasion by commandments deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandments holy, and just, and good. Father, bless our time together. Bless the reading of your scripture. Bless the remaining of our study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Those we notice these two areas that we want to talk about, the struggle of the indwelling sin and the struggle with the flesh and the spirit. In verses 7 through 12, we find that the law reveals just how sinful we are. 
When we talk about depravity, we understand that man is depraved, maybe not as some would try to have us understand totally depraved, but we are depraved. To say we're totally depraved would mean that uh, there's just no hope for us, but God has given us a consciousness of right and wrong, so you cannot say you are totally depraved. That's not found in the Bible, but some people like to use that term. Uh, but you do have a consciousness of right and wrong. And if you've never heard the word of God or if you refuse to hear the word of God, well, one day you will be judged and you'll be judged by that consciousness that God has given to us. So <clears throat> we understand that because of uh, the law revealing to our mind and our soul how wicked we are, well, does that make the law bad? It'd be like saying, someone saying, well, I don't like MRIs because it reveals everything that's not good about me. I like the cancer, and it brought out that cancer. I don't like that. That's a bad thing. I don't want an X-ray. I don't want a CAT scan. I don't want anything like that because that's bad. That's going to tell me that I have cancer, and I just don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that kind of bad news, and so I don't want to deal with anything that's going to bring anything bad into my life and just knowing that I have cancer would be bad for me and so what I don't know won't hurt me so that's why some people think as long as I don't know that it's it's wrong to with men to sleep with men and women to sleep with women as long as I don't know that it's okay to cheat on my wife or whatever uh, then uh, I don't want to hear that it's wrong just leave me alone that's why some people out there, they run from the gospel and they slam the door in your face when you knock on their door trying to share with them the good news because they don't want to hear about how bad they are, that they are, their sins are so wicked that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, out of the love of his heavenly Father would send him into this world to die for such a sinner as they. No, they don't want to hear that. But, in fact, the law is revealing to us. It continues to reveal to us what sin is. And uh, some people don't want to hear it because it reveals what sin is, but it also reveals how bad sin is. We understand, notice he says, For I had not known lust if it wasn't for the law. Uh, the Bible says that we're not to look upon a woman with lust. Well, the Bible gets into description of what lust is. And lust is simply coveting after something that's not yours. And the more we study the sin, the more we realize how bad it is, how wrong it is, and how the sin hurts other people. And so... <clears throat> As we uh, see, the law is kind of like an odometer. Uh, the law tells us how much we are sinning. When you're going down the road sometimes, uh, you have no idea how fast you're going if you're driving in a fairly decent car with good shocks and, you know, the, you got the airtight windows and you don't hear the wind blowing outside and you're going along there really smooth. <laughs> Sometimes you can be pumping 90 miles an hour, and it feels like you're only going 60. I remember one year, we, I had this, we used to have, uh, my wife used to like riding Cadillacs, and when I pastored up in Washington, they would provide us a late model Cadillac, 
and we go on vacation, and we go down to places like the backside of Arizona through some of those Indian reservations where you got a 100-mile stretch, and there's no traffic. There's no one out there. I put that thing on 100 miles an hour cruise control, and you just glide along. You feel like you're going 50 miles an hour. She had no idea we were going that fast. She'd be over there stitching or doing whatever she was doing, not even knowing that we're driving 100 miles an hour. Uh, but uh, anyway, you know, uh, forgive me. Uh, but uh, sometimes we don't know that we're going 100 miles an hour with sin either. But when we pick up our Bible and begin to read it, it becomes an odometer and it tells you, hey, you know, you're really speeding along there with that sin, aren't you? Look at all the stuff that you're doing. And so he says, I had not known sin, but the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. So therefore, the law reveals the power of sin. It reveals the, the amount of sin that's going on in our lives. I think that's one reason why some people have a hard time reading their Bible, because it brings conviction. And well, well, I don't know if I like that. Have you ever read your Bible and the fear of God strike your heart? Well, I have. <laughs> you know, there's some things going on in my life right now. If I don't get this thing right, those sins are going to, they're going to catch up with me. And so <clears throat> sometimes uh, the devil wants to keep us away from something that's going to reveal just where we're at and how bad we are for where we're at. So it's important that we get into the Word of God and read the law because we find that through the law we understand how powerful sin is because the law reveals the power of sin. Notice in verse number 8, it said, Sin taken occasion by the commandments wrought in me all matter of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. See, before I spent time in the Word, before I understood what the, the purpose of the law was, before the law was ever given, people had no idea just how bad they were. They had no idea what the power of sin was doing within their lives. But the law reveals to us the power of sin. The law reveals to us that we are desperately wicked. The law reveals to us the things that we are doing, that they're an abomination in the sight of God. See, how, uh, the people that uh, commit certain sins would not realize that those sins are abomination if it wasn't for the law. And that's why sometimes when you're out there door knocking, when you talk about uh, such things that are going on in this valley, they don't want to hear about it because they don't want to hear that they're living a lifestyle that's an abomination in the sight of God. You see, and the, the further we get away from the law of God, the greater the sin becomes. You see, there was a time in our public schools where Bibles could be read and children could bring their Bibles to school. There was a time in our public schools where children could bring their Bibles to school and they could pray. There was a time in our schools where children could bring their Bibles to school and teachers could stand up and quote the Bible. When I was in the third grade, we used to quote the Lord's Prayer beginning every service. And it was not uncommon to hear teachers talk about what, what the Bible has to say. I remember when I was in second and third grade, uh, we were told the story of Abraham, the father of faith. 
And uh, we were told about the two different Abrahams, the father that brought us into faith and the father that brought every, that through his faith uh, in the Lord brought our nation to a place to where all people were free. And I remember learning about those two Abrahams, and I thought, well, those are two great Abrahams. All, and those were things that were being, taught, were being taught at that time in a public school setting. But see, we have drifted away from that. Amen. There was a time where, <clears throat> you know, there were swear words that certainly weren't allowed to be used on public uh, broadcast over the radio or over the television. But now we're all kinds of profanity. Uh, I mean, you just F-bombs all over the place. Uh, the, can you see how, well, of course, we who are older can see, but the younger, they, they just haven't been around long enough to realize uh, things haven't always been as bad as it is right now. You know, you look at some of those sitcoms where, you know, the man in the home, the father, he knew best. And the father, I like... The old episodes, you know, we watch some of those sitcoms like Leave it to Beaver. You know, Dad, he's, he's very wise, and he's very controlling over his sons. But, you know, in these new sitcoms, Dad's stupid, and the children are much wiser than Dad. And so this is, you know, what we've depraved to. You know, in that time, you know, ladies were ladies, men were men. We understood the difference between male and female. Now we're living in a time where... Uh, in a t time uh, where we have what is called gender equality, where, where gender equality means, uh, you know, you may need still are figuring out what your gender is, and that's okay. We'll help you along with that. And by the way, there's more than they keep coming up with new, uh, new types of gender. Uh, and so I think right now the list is something like about 32 long. <laughs> So, you know, there's all types of genders out there, just not male and female. So, um, and this is how crazy it's getting. So we want what is called gender neutrality because if you're going to have gender equality, you can't refer to people in a pronoun that would pr pronounce them male or female. You have to use uh, something that is neutral so you don't offend those that are still struggling with who they are. I don't know. You know, I'm kind of lost. I'm not sure if I'm a man or a woman, I, I, but I'm getting there. You know? This is the world that we're living in. That's what happens when you begin to move away from the Word of God. You're given over to depravity. The power of sin has taken over because we no longer are looking to the law. They've done everything they can to kill the law. So therefore, the law reveals our transgressions, and it reveals our transgressions through guilt. Romans chapter 7, verse number 9 says, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandments came, sin revived and I died. No wonder they don't want to hear the law. I don't want to know that I'm dying. I don't want to know that my sins are the result of my death. I don't want to know that because of my sins, I'm going to end up in eternal hell. But the Apostle Paul made it very clear that this is what the law does. So regardless how much 
they seek to dodge God through his law. And God will always reveal his law. You can't run from it because God will write it upon your heart. We are told that over in Romans chapter 3, verse number 17 through 20. For the way of peace have they not known. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight of God. For the law is the knowledge of sin. And God makes it very clear that there'll come a time where God's law, for those that reject it, will be written in, upon their conscience and their hearts and their minds will either accuse them or excuse them when they stand before God in that day of judgment. So <clears throat> how will God get the message to them that stop their ears from hearing the law? Well, as I've already said, according to Romans chapter 2, verse number 15, God is going to deal with their conscience, and their conscience also bearing witness. And God has a way of doing that. And many times they don't want you to stir up their conscience uh, as you begin to help their conscience to bear witness. And so <clears throat> they don't want their thoughts to bring the guilt. They're living with guilt, but they want to deny the guilt. And, and if they can't deny the guilt, they want to blame you for putting the guilt on them. And they get angry with us, and they think, by the way, if they can shut us up, then the guilt will no longer be there to bother them. And there'll come a time where they'll despise and hate Christians so much to where they will seek to eradicate us. They're doing everything right now to do that. And so uh, we call that, uh, what is the name for that, that they want to silence us? Cancel culture, yes. They want to cancel the, they, you know, Christianity is a culture to them, and they want to cancel it out. And if they, they cancel out Christian culture, they have to cancel you out. So here we go. We're living in that day and time. We're living in a time where God is going to give them over to reprobate minds. And so the law can be, blindsided by the deceitfulness of sin, and that's where they want to stay. They choose to be blindsided by, uh, by their sin. And the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, verse number 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And you see, <clears throat> they can for a time be blindsided uh, to the law and feel okay about their sin, but not for long. After a while, their conscience gets the best of them. Suicide is at a very high rate among uh, those that are living in flagrant sin. And uh, eventually they take their lives. You know, it's very, they can't live with the guilt. They can't live with the shame that God puts upon them. 
and they're not willing. They're not willing to to turn from their sins. They're not willing uh, to repent of their sins. Uh, the sin eventually gets the best of them, and the sin destroys them. Sin is like a cancer, and it is. It's like leprosy. You know, the Bible uses leprosy to be a picture of sin, and eventually the leprosy will kill you. Uh, you know, leprosy in time, um, as it begins to progress, uh, the fingers and the toes get numb as they're infected by it because the nerves begin to die. You no longer feel the pain as it begins to rot away the flesh, and the fingers start falling off, the toes start falling off. And there's a horrible stench that goes along with it. And the Bible says in time, it kills you. Uh, there's no real healing to it. At least there was in that day and time. Well, there's nothing that can heal sin. And sometimes people get numb to sin to the point to where the sin destroys them. And um, they don't want help. I mean, that's crazy. Why would you not want healing if you had leprosy? But yet there are people out there with sin that is so destructive, it's destroying their souls. It's destroying their lives. It's brought total ruin and heartache to them, but they continue in it. I don't understand that. And there's repentance and there's help, but they don't want it. How sad is that? And so sin leads to death. The Bible talks about <clears throat> how sin uh, continues to build upon sin. Uh, people that continue to stay in their sin, usually, like I said, they start speeding up with their sin. And, uh, and eventually uh, the sin stacks up to the point to where now they're going 150 miles an hour heading head on with death and there's a crash that's coming. James says in chapter 1, verse number 14 through 15, every man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own lust and entice. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. You see, <clears throat> uh, sin can take you to a place of gross immorality. Sin can take you to a place to where you're totally homeless. You've lost everything. I know people like that. One time uh, they were productive at one time. Uh, they were responsible at one time. They were faithful to serve the Lord, and they got involved in sin. And sin began to take everything away from them. They got involved in sin to a place to where it brought them to places of gross immorality, to where they were doing things that's unthinkable for a Christian to ever do. And there they are, living out there on the streets. There they are. God, you know, has a payday for sin. And it only gets worse as they continue down that road. And yet they do not realize it. They don't understand that sin has taken them captive and is out to destroy them. And you can just mark it down. Maybe not everyone, but 90% of the people that you see out there that's running around homeless uh, because they were rebellious, 
They weren't listening to their parents. They were disobedient. They got involved in drugs. They got involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. And there they are. They're out there. AIDS is rampant. Uh, you'd be surprised the number of, of gays and lesbians that are homeless. I was watching a program this morning where they're trying to raise money to help these people. They're sick with AIDS and syphilis and gondorrhea, uh, living homeless uh, in homeless conditions, and, um, and they're just castaways. And uh, so there are programs and movements out there that want to raise money to provide shelter and to provide housing for them. But I can tell you that there, what needs to be provided is not housing and shelter. Someone needs to go to them and reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's, uh, excuse me, it sounds a little rude, but when, a, when the prodigal son was there eating what the pigs wouldn't eat, it wouldn't be helpful to offer him a ham sandwich at that time. It'd be better to tell him, why don't you repent and go back to your father? But they're not willing to do that. By the way, next Sunday, it will be the Sunday where we're to have compassion for the wayward. Be concerned for them. Do our best to reach them. Our hearts ought to break for them. Well, anyway, as we move along, we understand that there's nothing wrong with, with the law. The law is holy. The law is righteous. It's we... Uh, uh, that corrupt everything that man gets a hold of, he corrupts. But a law apart from the sinfulness of man is good and righteous. That's why Paul argues in verse number 12, wherefore the law is holy and the commandments holy and just and good. Paul understands how that there might be some out there, the way he's presenting this, that would say, well, Paul must be against the law. But he's not. You see, the problem is man's thinking. And so <clears throat> he wants them to understand you can't get to that place to where you think that you can save yourself by obeying the law. The law can't save you. The law just helps you to realize that you can't be saved, that you are a wicked sinner, that you're condemned, that there is no way that you can measure up to God's standard of righteousness. That doesn't make the law bad, but it's our thinking of what we believe that corrupts the understanding of the law. So now he moves on, and he talks in verse number 13 through 25 how we struggle then because we're allowing the flesh to take over. By the way, Christians can backslide. <laughs> and uh, they can get into a condition to where the flesh is much stronger than the quickened spirit that is to relate with God. Yeah. We need, like I said, uh, I believe it was Sunday night or sometime Sunday, we need to feed the spirit the word of God. So you feed, if you feed the flesh, the flesh gets strong. If you feed the Spirit, then the Spirit gets strong. The more of the sinful life we feed the flesh with, well, then the stronger the desires of the flesh become as it begins to lust for more. 
So we need to somehow uh, break the habit and say no to the flesh. And this is the good news. We have the power and the liberty to say no to the flesh. You see, your greatest enemy is not the devil, it's not the world, it's your flesh. And the greatest liberty you're going to ever find in this life is the freedom to say no to the flesh. So Paul declares that there's no way the law within us uh, can bring death. It is our disobedience to the law that brings death. That um, we need to understand that we need to come to the one that can deliver us from the sentence of death, who was able to fulfill the law, and then take the indictments of the law and nail it to the cross. And so... <clears throat> Sin always wants to hide, as we understand. And so it hides and it conceals itself. Uh, and sometimes we fail to realize uh, the strength of sin and the death of sin. And what the Lord is trying to do through the law is to help us to realize how important it is that we be strengthened by the Spirit of God that can give us the ability to walk according to His commandments. And we can't do it apart from this power of God. But God has given us the vehicle to do it. So we understand that we are exceedingly sinful, and therefore we need something that's exceedingly strong to deliver us from this old sinful body of ours. So Paul says in verse 13, was then that which is good made death unto me? He says, God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandments might become exceedingly sinful. I don't know if you understand that. But it's through the Word of God that we read and we understand just how wicked we are and how much we need God's help. We need the doctor to come and deliver us. We need a prescription that will give healing to the soul. Well, we find that in the Word of God. So the spiritual law, if we're not willing to allow the law to have a, a complete and total control through us as we walk in the Spirit, then we understand that, that the carnal man is going to win out. And carnality will always win if you're not walking in the Spirit. In fact... I shouldn't go there. I'll try to be fast, but again, I want you to see this because, maybe you're not getting it, and I want you to get this. Look at Galatians chapter 5 once again. In Galatians chapter 5, we are <clears throat> told here what the carnality of sin can do to us, how it can bring us into the depths of destruction. Galatians chapter 5 and 
Oh boy, I just flipped too far. Uh, here we go, Galatians 5 and verse number 16. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, sedition, heresy, envying, murder, drunkenness, reveling, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, that's the way the lost world lives, and they're not saved. Well, why is it that there are Christians that do some of those things? And we do know Christians that are guilty of doing those things. And why are they there? Well, it's because the flesh is winning out in their life. You know, and that's a dangerous place to be. Uh, let's just, again, uh, since, since we're talking about this, well, let's take our Bibles, look over at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you would, please, where he makes it very clear in verse number 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So <clears throat> what are Christians doing going there? Wow. You know... I don't know about you, but when I read those passages of Scripture, it grips my soul and spirit. I mean, well, you know, if I'm really saved, I, I better get out of there. You know, and there was a time where some of that was going on in my life as a young backslidden Christian. And I tried to convince myself that I was lost and I needed to get saved, but I knew better than that. I knew what I needed to do was get my heart right with God. I knew that uh, I was kind of like Lot living, you know, vexing my righteous soul. And I needed to come back to the Lord. And that was a wonderful experience when there was genuine repentance. I believe that when there's habitual sin in your life where there is no repentance, then you're not saved. You can't be saved and stay there. Eventually, you will repent. Sinner, Christians can stumble in there, but they're not going to stay there. Prodigals will come back to the Father. Uh, they're not going to hang out there. 
if if they are truly saved and they hang out there too long, then maybe God will kill them. Because there is a sin unto death. In fact, we're told over there in 1 John uh, that uh, we're not even to pray for those people that go there. Uh, and uh, there is that sin unto death. Just say, Lord, I guess just take them home. I don't know what else to do. I've prayed for them. I've witnessed to them. I've encouraged them. But they've been there for such a long time. Lord, if they've sinned unto death, then since you said don't pray for them, take them home. That's found over in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 16 and 17, by the way. So <clears throat> as we move along, we understand the spiritual law cannot restrain a carnal man. That's why he says in verse number 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and sold under sin. See, the law came in like a doctor. And the law has perfectly diagnosed our problem. But the law couldn't heal us. The law can only diagnose the problem. So... <clears throat> We need something more than the law. What do we need? We need a Savior. We need to put our faith in Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that uh, because of our bondage to sin, we are now being sold under sin. And the law can't help us. That's why it's so important that we come back to Christ, that we humble ourselves and go to the altar and confess our sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, there's a damnable doctrine that's going around that says, no, you never need to do that, that uh, once saved, your sins are forgiven. He doesn't see them anymore. Don't insult God by bringing it up again. Uh, just get right. You don't need to confess it because they're hid. He doesn't see them. Excuse me, if they're hidden, he doesn't see them, then why did he kill Ananias and Sapphira? If they're hidden, he doesn't see them, why did he tell the church to put them out? You know, and if they repent, bring them back in. <laughs> And if he doesn't see them, why does he judge the church for allowing them to remain there? Uh, you know, none of this makes sense. Anyway, I can see some. we got some sleepers in the audience, so I need to move along here. The description of our helplessness and our struggle to overcome the flesh and to walk in the power of God, we find when we get over into Romans chapter 8. What we read in Romans chapter 7, verse number 15 through 19, and for you that are sleeping, if you could wake up just long enough to get this, I hope you would. For which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law. That is good. Now when it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, I do. So Paul is basically concerned here about the law. He understands the rules of the law is something that he's not able to keep. He understands apart from the Spirit of God, there is no power that he has within himself to live according to God's standard. That's why he said later in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 10, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So he understands that you can't do it. The battle between uh, the inward man And the battle that we have with the flesh is something that we have to understand that we're going to live with every day. And every day we got to make a decision who's going to be the boss. That's why we read in verse number 20 through 23, Now if I do that, that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. So I find then a law that, I would do good, but evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul here realizes, and he brings out the reality of this very important truth, that every day we wake up in the flesh, we're going to have to deal with the flesh. And we can't overcome our sins uh, through the law. We overcome our sins through the Spirit of God. We can say, well, I'm, from now on I'm going to do my best to obey God and keep His law and keep His commandments. Well, how's that working? But if we say every day, I am going to do my best to crucify the flesh through faith in believing that Jesus Christ went to that cross. And when he died and when he was buried and he rose again, God's spirit came into my heart and he took residence in my life. And now I am risen to walk in newness of life. So today, Lord Jesus, I need to walk in your spirit. So I surrender to you to walk according to your spirit. I want you to guide me. I want you to direct me. I want your spirit to prompt me. Lord, I can't do that through myself. I can't do it through the law. And so by faith, I'm calling upon you. You see, that's where we get the key from Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the faith which I now live in the flesh, 
I live by the Son of God that loved me and gave himself for me. When we allow our spirit to sleep while the flesh is awake, well, then we're going to find ourselves taken by the flesh and by sin. Paul declares this to be a very important reality. So when we come down to verse number 24 and 25, and I'm just about done, I apologize for keeping some longer than you want to stay, but verse number 24 and 25, he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I might serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. What is he saying there? Well, he's saying that yeah, there's going to be this struggle, and there's going to be a part of me every day that wants to serve the flesh. But I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, that's the key. And if we had time, we would go into Romans chapter 8, because when Paul wrote this letter, there were no chapter divisions there. But since there's a chapter division there, sometimes we just stop reading right there. But that chapter division was put there to help to break up the Word of God for your study, but it doesn't break up the thought. The thought continues. Because he says in verse number 1 of chapter 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen. You see, when he said, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, when we connect that with verse number 1, we understand there's the key. Every day we're going to serve one or the other. As Christians, every day the mind and the Spirit and the soul, and the flesh are all going to be competing against one another. Remember, the flesh is that what relates to the five senses that we find in this old world. And the soul, where your mind and your intellect is, it relates to your emotion, to your reasoning, and to your thought life. And the spirit is that which relates to God. And somehow you got to get your soul and the spirit within you connected with the spirit of God. And that means every day you have to die to the flesh so they can make that connection. So that you can walk in the spirit. Notice, and we'll stop at verse number 2 of Romans chapter 8. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me what? From the law of sin and death. But every day we have to go there. Because if we don't, then the flesh begins to win out. Heavenly Father, thank you for your